Hi, guys, and welcome to the Healthified Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has, for over 15 years, delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Before we get started, this episode of Healthified is brought to you by our sister company, Gratified, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. Our products are made with real food ingredients and blood sugar balance in mind. For a discount off of our products, visit Gratified.com and use the promo code HEALTHIFIED at checkout. Today's guest is Allison Monet, co-founder and CEO of Oh My Foods. You will learn more about her company and dairy-free ice cream in our conversation. And while we do discuss dairy-free specifically, there are great nuggets of information and health inspiration for anyone listening. Allergies and sensitivities are so common these days. And if you don't have one personally, you probably know someone who does. Plus, she is also an entrepreneur and busy mom navigating life. So we talk about that as well. Other highlights of our conversation include her motivation for starting a dairy-free gelato company, even when she herself is not dairy-free, the difference between working in big food and the natural foods industry and the way that she cooks and eats, what we should be looking for when reading food labels, the considerations she and her business partner took when breaking into the ice cream industry and creating an allergen-friendly product and what sets their products apart. Her experience of becoming an entrepreneur as a relatively new mom and how that has played into her holistic health, what she has down in the realm of self-care and what she is working on. Let's head to our chat. Hi, Allison. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on the Healthified podcast with me today. I'm so excited about this conversation. I am too. Great. Um, so for those of you listening, this is Allison Monette. She is the co-founder and CEO of Oh My Foods, a certified women-owned business that crafts Oh My Dairy-Free Gelato, which is an allergy-friendly treat. Allison spent her career working in big food corporations before becoming an entrepreneur, um, which just so happens to be in the natural food space, which Allison and I share in common. Um, so I'm really excited to have this conversation and learn more about your story. I kind of did some research before we hopped on this conversation, but, um, with that, can you kind of share more about your background and how you got to where you are? Sure. Well, I guess I'd start with my, my, you know, intro to food. It came right out of college. I went to the university of Virginia and I was at a, at a job fair, um, one day, you know, in the spring and ran into an old friend. We were chatting and at the very end, she's like, well, Hey, do you want, do you want to give me your resume? I said, well, what company is this? She's like, it's General Mills. And I thought, well, sure. sure. <laughs> of course, lo <laughs> and behold, um, I end up going to work for General Mills. And I was really excited about that opportunity. I had gone to school in my hometown, and I was really excited to uh, see more of the country, which is part of what they offered. The deal was you had to sort of move very frequently. And um, so I got to live all over the U.S. and so cool. um, met my husband there at work um, at General Mills, and it was just a really fantastic training ground in all aspects of consumer packaged goods. And I really fell in love with the industry, um, but ultimately knew that I really wanted to do something for myself. And so, after kind of exhausting um, a number of different uh, paths working for big companies. I realized that there was never going to be the perfect time to um, to do it myself. And so finally, one day I just said, all right, this is it. I'm out. So that's when Oh My Foods began. 
Yeah. And so I'm, I can't wait to get into a little bit more about kind of the big food corporation and how it differs from kind of companies like you and, um, mine in the more the natural food space where we really pride ourselves on the quality of clean, simple ingredients. Um, but I want to back up just a little bit and how you kind of started. Oh my, um, because reading about kind of that story online, you yourself, um, did not have a dairy allergy, correct? Correct. I approached this from a very different perspective of most people. Um, which I think is 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 a benefit. I hope <laughs> to do it. So my story is I'm not a vegetarian, but I don't eat very much meat. Um, quantity wise, my body has just never really wanted um, much meat, and so I was eating a lot of dairy as a protein replacement. Mm-hmm. And one day, just really looked at my diet um, and thought, well, this is not very balanced, and so I should, you know, explore the plant based alternatives more. And I'd already been drinking plant based milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and had really seen that category, you know, come very far. And I just, when I tried ice cream, which is back step, um, dessert is a very big part of my life. Yes, um, same here. In a family <laughs> where eating cookies for breakfast was totally okay. Um, and I, I, um, I, I allow myself to indulge in dessert. And um, when I tried the plant-based ice creams, I just did not find anything acceptable either from an eating experience perspective or just from an ingredient. And I knew that you could make clean plant-based milks and there's no reason why you couldn't do the same in ice cream. Yeah. So that moment where you felt compelled to look at your diet, um, what was the inspiration behind that? And were you feeling a certain way or was it just like, oh, I might be overdoing it here? So my body does not have, excuse me, a negative reaction to dairy, unlike most. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I actually did, uh, and just to understand the consumer experience of of being completely dairy-free, I went an entire month not eating any dairy, not even in baked goods. I mean, I I read every ingredient panel. I learned that there's even a dairy product in Chick-fil-A chicken noodle soup. I mean, there's oh my gosh. so many places. Yeah. I lived like I had a dairy allergy for a month. And I did not notice significant health differences for me. So my body uh-huh. tolerates dairy really well. It was just thinking about the the overall, you know, I do, I'm very, I, I now know that I'm an intuitive eater. Um, and I think about what I put in my body and it just, it, I was unsatisfied that with the, the variety of foods because yeah. I was so heavily reliant upon dairy. Yeah. So my main inspiration. And I think that is so such a powerful exercise for you to do, even though you didn't really have to, to kind of step in the shoes of kind of your audience, if you will, to be able to better understand. And I, and I know that when you were kind of in the pre-launch phase, you did a lot of talking to people who did have dairy allergies and did a lot of interviews. And for someone who does have an intolerance to dairy, um, such as myself, um, it is something that... Um, I'm sure that you probably learned a lot about. So what are some of those things that you kind of learned about, you know, your target audience that allowed you to kind of shape your launch process? Well, one of the the things that inspired me the most was that household that had one person who really could not tolerate um, something. And oftentimes when dairy is, is, um, is an allergy, it's oftentimes accompanied by other allergies. And so since we were already looking to make a very simply made product, it really became a no brainer to say, well, let's just avoid common allergens. And so 
we had to be thoughtful in the flavors we created, you know, chocolate and peanut butter is such a delicious combo, but yeah, of course, you know, we, um, we, we didn't want to do that. We really wanted, so we, we heard, you know, that it's, it's not just dairy, um, even though we're making a dairy-free product. And then we also heard, you know, it's, there's so much confusion and, and not just necessarily by the people like the, the parents or the individual with the problem, but the people that love them, the people that care for them too, their, their friends who want to have them over and host. Yeah. And so creating something that just could universally stand for safe was really powerful and something that, um, that I got very excited about. Yeah. And just kind of like how that is so much more common these days. I mean, 10 years ago, I know that I had a friend who couldn't tolerate gluten and she was never diagnosed with like celiacs or whatever, but like back then it was just, it was unheard of. And the options were so limited that, you know, companies such as yours coming on board or online just really helps to make people's lives um, easier and, you know, that they can still enjoy things like ice cream as well. I mean, I think I'm also someone who allows myself a dessert every night. Um, your ice cream being one of them. Um, and I do put peanut butter on top. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think just being able to kind of cater to as, um, large of an audience in this kind of population as you can is just such a beautiful thing. Um, and, you know, the thing about your company and product specifically, as we've kind of already mentioned, is that they pride themselves on the real, simple, clean ingredients. And with your experience working in General Mills and other big food corporations, I would imagine there would be some contrast there. Um, so I am curious kind of how that became a tenant that you valued? Like, did it have to do with your personal traditional philosophy or was it just um, kind of riding this wave of wanting to make an impactful change in the packaged food space? Tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that I, I grew up in a family that probably ate cleaner than most, um, a family that cooks and I did so as well. I was fortunate to be able to travel to Europe when I was in high school. We had had exchange students growing up and I went to live with one one summer. And that was the first time that I'd really ever eaten like amazing fruit and produce and just yeah. butter and I mean, things that were so delicious. And, and I think that was probably the start for me of realizing how like satisfying just whole food that is really fresh and delicious um, could be because well, my family eat, eat that way, you know, it's not the same. And, you know, it's like celery that's been in the refrigerator. It was, you know, been in the refrigerator forever right. and that sort of thing. So I'd say that really honed my appreciation for ingredients. And, um, and after that, I've just, I've always loved cooking. Um, I've continued to cook. I love looking at cookbooks for inspiration. My husband and I um, love hosting. And in fact, this is our second home now where we've flip-flopped our, our living room and our dining room to make our dining room the biggest room in our house so we can oh, get as many people as possible over. And so, you know, I, so I know how to make, you know, all, all, all of these foods and I know it's really possible to make um, simply made things. I remember when I went to work at General Mills, they had these, like said, Betty Crocker is a General Mills brand and they had um, these products that were you know, not even hamburger helper, but it was like these packages of like 
breadcrumbs maybe and like sauces that you would add to basically chicken breasts or something. And I was so confused by them and, and I made them, you know, because I felt like I needed to understand what these products were. <laughs> and um, they were so gross and so weird and confusing. And um, and so so I, I would say that I, I was never a big consumer um, myself of many of the products with the, with the exception of um, Betty Crocker frosting still sadly is one of my, mm -hmm. um, I do buy other frostings that are, are better for you and they're just not quite the same. Um, and um, I always ate a lot of yogurt. I remember thinking you'll play yogurt was pretty good. You know, when I first yeah. started working there, that's a general milk brand. Um, but of course now I'm, I'm in a very different place with the, um, I only eat dairy-free yogurt. And actually I think we share our favorite um, dairy-free brand, Kulina. Um, so I definitely prefer a, a Greek yogurt style, but, um, but yeah, I, I would say I've always been someone who has not necessarily eaten um, big food brands yeah. on a regular base, basis. Yeah, that's, that's great because, I mean, as someone who did grow up eating that way, I mean, you know, Oreos and Pringles were a big staple to my diet and just really having to unlearn and rewired what healthy food entailed and how not all calories are created equal. And, you know, you said something really funny about um, those Betty Crocker cakes you were talking about, about how confused you were. And I was like, well, we're definitely not supposed to be confused by our food, right? Like I think an overarchingly, maybe oversimplified way of looking at it is just, you know, food is food. And when it gets modified to the point that it confuses you, you probably should know to stay away. Um, and, you know, as, as both a health coach and founder of a natural foods company myself, you know, this is something that is a big part of my message as it is yours about, you know, being aware of ingredients and what exactly you're putting into your body when you do eat a packaged food. Um, so with kind of your knowledge of, of both being in kind of the big food world and now the natural food space, what is some additional insight you can offer? What should we as consumers really be looking out for in terms of when we're reading labels? Like you mentioned kind of the Chick-fil-A soup or whatever, having dairy in it. Like what are some things that kind of go behind the scenes that we might not be aware of that, you know, might corrupt us a little bit or well, sound corrupting? I, I would say, you know, um, I have, even as someone who, um, doesn't need to read labels. I always read labels. And uh -huh. I think it's really meaningful when you can't read a label because the font is so small. And I'm, mm. I'm not saying that just as someone who's now over 40 and all of a sudden <laughs> needs reading glasses, but um, it is, you know, and, and frankly, there are a lot of natural products that, that can fit in that category as well. Um, I do think that it's really important that we understand what we're putting in our body. And it doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad, um, all of it, but, you know, I, I think, I think we should be mindful of, of what, of what goes in there. And so, you know, claims, claims on the front of a package or back of a package, wherever they put them, um, I think should only be the starting point. I really think you should, um, research and understand. And it's it, what's crazy to me too, is it's not even necessarily, and this is why it was important to me that our entire brand have the right credentials, not just like a couple of flavors, right, but right. it's interesting to me how like one flavor of a product can be okay and really simple. And then you look at the next one, you know, and it's like, whoa, what is all this stuff they're putting in there? Like, yeah. I think of my, um, my son, what my youngest son is more of a salty person than everyone else in my home who likes sweet. 
And so he really likes crackers and, and Triscuits um, are a cracker that's in our home some. And somehow we ended up with like a flavored one. Um, I don't remember what the flavor was, but I was like, what is all of this stuff? I mean, it was meant to be like some sort of herb or salted, but it was another just flavor of the product that was just so much less natural than, than the original one. So, you know, I do think that we sort of always need to be mindful um, and, and it's not just, you know, kind of universal, com it's not, it's not common that you, we can always say that every particular flavor is, is okay. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point um, to drive home is that like, you know, there are those brands out there where maybe you are accustomed to buying one certain skew or product. And then, um, you know, just kind of with blinders on, you try something else under the same brand and you get home and you look at the ingredients, you're like, wait a minute, this isn't in line with another product. So I think it's like important to always read labels, but I know that, you know, just like for me, for you, it's very important to create an overarching brand where that trust is always there. So that like, mm -hmm. you know, even if you don't get an opportunity or you forget to read the list of ingredients, you can trust that it's going to be high quality and, and, and all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, so shifting more to kind of talking a little bit more about business. So before you launched, um, you met Julie, your co-founder mm -hmm. um, and business partner. So I read a little bit more about how that partnership came to be. And it was just very clear that it was um, very synchronous and meant to be. Um, so what made you decide to want to um, take on a business partner? And did that shift the experience for you in becoming an entrepreneur? So when I when I left my day job to, to start my own business, you know, that was a very um, solitary uh, endeavor. And that it needed to be that way, you know, in the beginning. Um, but through those interviews that I did with people who were dairy-free, since, since I was the opposite, you know, I was doing so many of these interviews, that was ultimately how I met Julie Bishop, my co-founder. Um, we have a, one of her very best friends is a woman with a dairy allergy and has, you know, three redheaded children with various stages of dairy intolerance too. And so, she connected us, um, but I, I pretty quickly, I don't know, I feel like I was only a few months in, when I really thought to myself, like, this is just not very satisfying alone. Um, I really, really um, just derive so much more satisfaction from we statements, you know, than I statements. Yeah, yeah. And um, just even being able to have like someone to celebrate, you know, wins with. My husband was working from home when he wasn't traveling at the time. And I would find myself like running into his office, like trying to, you know, share things with him um, that he sometimes like, <laughs> didn't want all the interruptions. Right. And so it was just really special. Um, Julie and I were able to work together on a project first. She um, agreed to help me with the recipes um, and help me find uh, the right people to produce the product. And, and so we were able to learn that we had a similar working style, that we, um, that we worked well together and our backgrounds just were really, really complementary. And so I feel so fortunate not only that we met, but that we were able to sort of have the the time to work together to both, you know, sort of feel out what it would be like um, before we we became partners. Because, you know, both of us had done other things in our careers. We we both had um, other other options, I'm sure. And so it was really nice to be able to kind of have this be like a mutual decision that this was, you know, something we were both excited about and wanted to pursue together. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And the fact that you know 
you're right about kind of feeling lonely as an entrepreneur because it is a career path that can go against the grain of what other people are doing. And I remember feeling when I was kind of at the height of building my health coaching practice and um, business in that way, I remember feeling very alone because, you know, I call myself a solopreneur um, where, you know, it was just me a, a lot of the times and I didn't have someone to kind of bounce ideas off of. And and now making that shift to gratify. Now my business partner and co-founding partner is my husband. Um, but he also has his own like gig going on on the side. So when I brought on the team, that's where I kind of felt the effects that I feel like you're talking about with Julie. Um, and I, and I read a little bit more about Julie's story and kind of her philosophies, um, and her background in food science and all these things. And, um, especially her, what she values around food. Um, is there anything kind of on that level, like not as much business, but kind of the food philosophy side of things that you've kind of learned for her from her along the way? So it's funny, you know, just starting to work together, um, we would, we would um, eat lunch together frequently. And we, we started realizing that we could basically order for each other. We, we, we had very similar eating styles. Um, and both of us, and in fact, actually, this has become a trait of um, everyone on our team. And we, we don't hire for this, this isn't in the job description, but everyone everyone um, who works at OMI loves to cook and, and loves to entertain people. And, and so that was just something that um, became very clear with Julie. I mean, she has a background in, in nutrition, but, you know, um, before food science, and she's just very, very knowledgeable about, about all of that. Um, and, but, but it was, you know, more, more than, than, than just sort of the science behind it. Um, that was um, important to her. And so, so that has been like a really special part, I would say, of um, of kind of our, our company culture um, and something that kind of drew us together early on. Yeah. Um, and this is actually a complete tangent here, but um, you keep mentioning kind of like cooking and entertaining. And I just love that because, you know, and I do think about that European mentality. And I also spent some time over in Europe four years ago, and that really shifted my food philosophy personally. Um, but, you know, just going through COVID of last year and not really being able to entertain in big groups, how did you still kind of um, nurture that love of yours? So I bought three cookbooks <laughs> during, like <laughs> right at the beginning of COVID and kind of cooked my way through um, through them. And, you know, we, um, we actually had, we have two, uh, two boys. Um, and so for the last three years, especially when, you know, pre-COVID, my husband and I were both traveling for our jobs, which was a challenge. And so we had um, au pairs living with us from global, <laughs> from the world. Yeah. And so we actually had um, an Austrian au pair when, when COVID happened. And she ended up only staying with us um, for two months of that before it became clear that it was not going to let up. Um, and so she returned home. But we we um, almost like felt the need to like recreate like a Friday or Saturday night you know experience um, yeah. like with her, um, and so we would we would make these like pretty elaborate meals I would say um, on a fairly regular basis um, during COVID, and I really in, enjoy that. I do find you know I I, I get burnt out um, at some point, and so I'll I'll stop. And I, I find especially during the summer, I don't know it's the heat. I, I really probably enjoy cooking and I do enjoy baking some too. It, it's, 
especially around the fall and the holidays and like winter. I love, I love soup and stew. Um, and so those tend to be my, my prime baking months and then they're cooking in general. Um, but that was, that was helpful for me. I also, I don't normally, um, like I never really baked with almond flour or those things like that until uh, COVID. I got a, a cookbook that used, um, you know, more of those ingredients. And so I, I you know, that was kind of a, just a, a learning something, you know, a new aspect of, of um, cooking and baking that, that I became more familiar with. And so now I, I kind of prefer, I think some of the recipes that, that split, you know, some of the flours that add a little bit more nutrient value and texture and different things like that. So that was part of how I got through COVID. That's great. And I'll have to get you one of my cookbooks because that's kind of all, um, it's gluten-free vegan baking, but it uses a lot of those more nutrient dense flours, um, and it's all allergen friendly. So I'll have to get you one, but I love that just like about kind of creating a ritual around it, even though you might not have had a big group to entertain Mm -hmm. with. And just, um, I always think about that movie, Julie and Julia about kind of like (laughs) cooking through, you know, and I just think that that would be such a fun challenge. Um, All right. But back to the business. So when it comes to kind of healthifying a product, like I like, like I say, um, which you are doing with ice cream, right? It's still a very traditional product that um, has its roots, you know, decades um, in the past. And what hurdles have you had to overcome and kind of like breaking into that space? Into a more healthful version of it, you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, health means different things to different people. And so I think that was a really important exercise for Julie and I together early on was to decide what the guardrails would be mm. for our product. And so we really, we, we, we knew we wanted to make an allergy-friendly product that tasted amazing. And so with that, and we also wanted people who didn't have to eat that way to, to enjoy it. So that was kind of overarching premises, I would say, Mm -hmm. to start with. Um, And both of us have, you know, spent enough time in the industry to know that it doesn't matter if a product, you know, meets A, B, and C trends. If it doesn't taste really good, it's just not going to ultimately be successful. And so we really did focus on taste to begin with. We... Um, decided early on that we liked coconut cream as the dairy replacement. And coconut can be polarizing um, for some. We actually spent many, many months sourcing the coconut. We found huge variability among the exact same 24% fat coconut, depending on where it came from and at what stage the coconuts were harvested. And there's many, many different things. But we really wanted it to, we found that it was possible to have less coconut flavor um, relative to some other, you know, coconut creams that one could purchase. And so it, it became important to us to try and minimize the coconut flavor just because it, it could be polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, for that reason, the first of all, so that was one thing that was, that was important. We wanted it to be coconut cream and we, we wanted it to be that because we, we believed um, and still believe that it's a superior dairy replacement as far as creating that mouthfeel of dairy that like, stick to your, the roof of your mouth, kind of like satisfaction mm-hmm. um, that you ultimately get from ice cream. And so we really wanted to replicate that. Um, after that, we then said, um, so ice cream is chemistry and you need a certain amount of solids um, and fat. So fat is a solid. 
um, sugar is a solid. And so you need a certain amount of solids to make it work without having to use other things to bulk the product to make the chemistry of ice cream work. And so, you know, we, we looked at um, other potential sugars like coconut sugar was absolutely on the radar um, because that would have been, you know, a more, um, well, J Julie and I would, uh, so what, what um, things are positioned as versus what maybe molecularly or other things, yeah. it's, all, it's all different. But anyway, we ultimately decided not to use coconut sugar um, because of the more off flavor it imparted relative to cane sugar. Um, and we wanted it to taste as true to the original thing as, as possible. And so that was a conscious decision that we made, again, based on, on taste kind of being, um, taste and simple ingredients being an overwhelming priority for us. Um, honey is another thing that you could also use, um, but again, didn't derive the exact same flavor um, that one might expect ice cream to have. So after that, you know, we really then, you know, we, we our, our orange, um, we have an orange cream flavor, you know, that comes from orange juice. We have, you know, strawberry that comes from strawberries that became, you know, very simple after that. We, we only wanted to use extracts. We only wanted to use, um, you know, things that belonged in ice cream. And so we've been able to stick with that. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to ice cream specifically, like as much as you can healthify a product like ice cream, but it is something that is enjoyed primarily for the flavor and the taste of it. So that's really, I think that's really important and great that y'all led with that lens because, um, you know, I, and you're so right about taste matters. Um, and I think a lot of products, they can go to an extreme of trying to healthify something and they just completely like, you know, have, you know, you get feedback of like, oh, this tastes like cardboard or, you know, it doesn't have any flavor or. Yeah. And I think because um, we, we also, the, it's gelato, so there's less air in it. It's more dense. Mm. That's where we really felt good that it would be satisfying. So people wouldn't feel like they needed to overeat, you know, a, portion size is very satisfying. Um, there were people who, you know, um, I remember one person said to me, like, when you get a pint of ice cream, aren't you committing to the whole pint? <laughs> we're like, no, no please, yeah. <laughs> please do not eat a whole pint of our product. Um, that is absolutely not how we intend it. Um, one thing I will say too, and again, we do not tout this as a health attribute, but it was something that was important to us. We, we, we wanted our product to taste like a treat, but we also stopped when we thought it was sweet enough um, so consequently, you know, still a treat, um, but our products do have about 20 to 25% less grams of sugar than the average ice cream. Yeah. Um, and many people do comment that they really appreciate that our product is not overly sweet. When I eat a lot of other ice creams and especially even some of the dairy freeze now, they are so, so overwhelmingly sweet to me that I just, it's really, un, it's really unappetizing. They're trying to probably overcompensate for those, you know, ingredients that they had to take out and it's just not necessary. And I do think as a society, um, you know, and as human beings in general, like we are hardwired to crave sweet things. So there's a reason behind it. You know, unfortunately now in the standard American diet, what people turn to isn't what we traditionally turn to as our primal, primal ancestors. But that being said, um, you know, I think taste buds adapt. So I think just having it to be sweet enough and not overly sweet is retraining your taste buds to be like, yes, you can absolutely have sweet things, um, you know, but like 
if you or I went and had like something that had twice as much, three times as much sugar, it would be exactly like you said, unappetizing. We would be turned off by it because it would just be way too much. Um, so when you're kind of like out and about talking to customers and I know like pre COVID you doing demos and at trade shows and stuff, like, are you reaching those, um, I know like the people with dairy allergies are a big part of your audience, but are you eating, are you reaching those people without, um, dairy allergies as well? And like, what are kind of you hearing from those customers in terms of like what they want in an ice cream? Um, or are you mostly speaking to like a dairy-free crowd? So I would say that we felt our, and feel, you know, our product has a much broader potential appeal to, a bigger audience because there are a lot of people who care about the ingredients that go into um, their diet. However, that said, you know, what we've learned is if you are willing to pay a dollar, two dollars more for a product, there's usually a reason why. Um, and so while some people are, you know, what I guess I am, you know, flexitarian, where you're just choosing to add more plant-based alternatives to your diet or be intentional around, um, you know, not eating as much meat and dairy, um, you know, that is, that is not as much of an audience or it's not as consistent an audience as people who really have to, um, either because it's, it's a, a, a solid, you know, lifestyle choice they've committed to, um, like being completely, you know, dairy-free or, or um, something like that, or, you know, there's a, a food intolerance sensitivity, you know, or allergy. And really any of those three, um, are, are absolutely our consumer, you know, with the rise of at-home testing kits. And there's so many people now just who have new awareness of, of things that, that um, don't make them feel right. right. And so, so that, that has definitely been more our audience. We do see much greater sales on the West Coast, you know, and I don't think there's necessarily more people who um, have, you know, these food issues on the West Coast and the East, but I do think they might be more committed to the diets um, or more people who are, who are, you know, choosing to be, be vegan um, or things like that. But I would say that I've actually learned that people who are always vegan um, are actually not our consumer because I do think going back to training your taste buds, I think if you are, have only been eating vegan food um, for a certain amount of time, I think your palate has just adapted to different textures um, mm -hmm. that make the other vegan ice creams um, maybe more palatable or more interesting to you than, than ours. Um, ours, I think, is more similar to regular ice cream. Um, and so, you know, and, and ours is, is more expensive. Ours is more premium. No one is using, you know, better ingredients than we are. And, and we're a small company. Um, so when you tack those things together, um, it really is people who either need to or choosing to avoid um, nuts, pea protein, um, gluten, you know, a number of those things, and, and people who want there to be testing measures in place to ensure that those things are, are not there um, that, that are eating in mind. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about what does set your product apart in terms of the ingredients. Like I know that you just, um, Re relatively recently came out with like a lower sugar line that uses allulose and um, stevia and monk fruit. We also use monk fruit in our products. So maybe for someone who isn't aware of some of those alternatives, will you talk to us a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, I, I was not aware of those alternatives very much. Um, 
I'm someone who has always chosen to um, eat eat regular sugar um, or or just none at all, and just you know I'm mindful about the quantities that I consume in. Um, however, you know it was our number one consumer request um, to do a lower sugar product. Um, Julie, my co-founder, you know, being a food scientist and someone who has followed kind of the regulatory space for a while, she does a lot of um, work in nutrition labeling and, and ingredient panels and that sort of thing. She was very familiar with allulose. Um, and two years ago, when we were deciding to undertake this challenge of a, a lower sugar product, is around the time that the FDA released a new draft guidance around how allulose could be treated on an ingredient panel. Um, it used to be that allulose needed to be reflected um, more similarly to cane sugar because it is, I guess, molecularly very, it's only one molecule off of cane sugar. Um, but in fact, the body just digests it very differently. It has a very different effect on um, glucose levels in the blood and that sort of thing. And so even over the two years that we have been working on a product with allulose, um, that guidance continued to be um, refined. And so in fact, the two products that we launched last year um, both um, say that they have two grams of sugar per serving. Um, however, if you rerun that panel now, um, it's only one gram of sugar per serving. So they're very, very low sugar. Um, Julie has done a fantastic job of really masterfully blending um, allulose, which is 70% as sweet as cane sugar, so close, but not quite as close. Mm -hmm. um, since our product is already not overly sweet, you know, we needed some other um, extracts to get it, you know, to the same level of sweetness as our, as our core. And so she's doing that with um, a third generation stevia. I didn't know there were different generations of, of stevia. Yeah. There are. Um, and so there's different levels of bitterness um, apparently associated with them. And so um, we're using a blend of, of allulose as the primary sweetener, which functions so similarly to the cane sugar from a chemistry of really making that product work. Um, and then some stevia and the, and the monk fruit to really um, make a very satisfying product that just does not have that sweetener taste that I personally am really um, put off by. And so um, we're so excited about it. We did two flavors last year. We just launched our third this year. And, you know, we, we my hypothesis is it's, you know, the same household, but it might be different people in it. Um, or it's people who are saying, you know, I want if I, if, if treats are a regular part of my week, you know, I might choose to eat the lower sugar one during the week, but if I'm having people over, if I'm, you know, really, you know, celebrating something, you know, maybe I'll, I'll do the, the, the regular, you know, original kind of cane sugar one. Um, so we've been very pleased with the performance of both and, and really feel great. We have the same, it's always, you know, the entire line is always going to be, we say we're deliciously creamy, we're simply made and allergy friendly. Those are the top three things we will always be. And so that's the same with our lower sugar too. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there is this um, belief out there that, you know, all sugar is created equal. And I would completely debunk that belief because, you know, through my research, there's about 45 plus different names for sugar out there um, and what is actually on various food labels. And so I think it's so important to kind of hear your um, chemistry talk behind it, because I think, I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. And also from a blood sugar perspective and how it affects glucose levels. Um, so all important things for people to keep in mind when they are reading labels. Um, so out of all of your products, Allison, what is your favorite flavor? <laughs> this is such, such a hard, um, this is always a hard question. I'm to sure answer, you so. get it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I do. So, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm, my flavors change with the season. So I'm coming out of coffee chip season. Um, our coffee chip is so yummy. I'd say it's, it's definitely, it's a, it's a very sophisticated flavor. Um, it's, it's, you know, made with a single origin organic, um, coffee, um, coffee grinds or coffee, um, like actual, like instant coffee actually is what flavors it. Um, and then we're using these chips, these chocolate pieces that are, um, so delicious. They're fair trade certified dairy-free and soy-free. Um, cause of course there's a lot of soy lecithin, um, is a common ingredient in chocolate and then yes. that are pieces of cocoa butter. And so it's just, it's, it adds like this great crunch. Um, so anyway, coffee chip is, is, um, kind of my, my wintertime favorite. I like eating it in front of a fire, <laughs> but now that it's getting warmer, um, you know, I really like our strawberry. Um, and I love our vanilla bean. Vanilla bean is the only one where you still do get, you know, a, a, a prominent coconut flavor note. It's just too delicate a flavor to mask it. But somehow when it's paired with like berries or other fruits, or, you know, if you do like a cobbler or something, it is so good. It's like, it complements all of those other flavors so much. Um, so I love vanilla bean paired with like cherries or peaches. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that sounds good and very seasonable, seasonal. So um, I will have to check that out myself. You mentioned soy lecithin and I think um, avoiding lecithins is a big part of my message. Um, and it has been for years. Um, but I feel like you would be a really good person to kind of explain more about why you should kind of look out for them. So I would actually, we, we always joke that that's um, Science Julie, um, my co-founder <laughs> who answers all questions like that. Um, she, she, we, we actually created a nutritional guide um, that, that covers many, many different things. And so, um, but we, we find a lot of people avoiding soy um, and I don't know to the degree to which the lecithin uh, component is, is a, an important part of that message, but you know, it's interesting to me, I, um, you know, so I had actually had a complete meat aversion uh, with both of my pregnancies. I could not eat meat. It was very odd. My body, it's like my body wouldn't allow me to. Mm-hmm. And so I was eating um, with my, my first pregnancy, my son, I was eating a lot of like Boca burgers or things like that. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And, um, and then once I found out it was a boy, they told me to stop. I, like you should not be eating as much soy because of the, the hormones um, and, and a developing male fetus or whatever. Um, and then by the time my, my boys are, are five years apart each, by the time the, the next one came around, they, they were, were not feeling as strongly about that. Um, of course, I was kind of done with the freezer aisle at that point. I was yeah, also yeah. finishing my MBA while I was working full time when I was pregnant with my first son. So there was a lot more um, Annie's frozen burritos um, as a regular part of my, my diet. Um, but it was, um, but anyway, so I, I know that, you know, science does evolve on these fronts, but we are hearing at this specific point of difference that a lot of people care about in our product relative to other dairy freezes is, is the, you know, no soy. Um, and then, you know, pea protein is, is popping too. It's not a bad ingredient. Obviously it adds like it has protein. Um, peas are, are, um, are sustainable and, and clean. Um, however, you know, it, it, whether it be Crohn's disease or, you know, other IBS type diagnoses, we're hearing um, more and more people say that, and I guess if you have a peanut allergy, you were told to avoid um, pea protein as well because they're cousins, I guess. And mm-hmm. so that is something else that we're hearing, you know, more and more about um, that are just product differentiators of my. 
Yeah. Very interesting that, you know, y'all have so much insight into kind of that stuff that comes online and like a real time basis. So very good resource. Um, and I, it seems as if, you know, you definitely go through the development phase with your products with a lot of care and understanding. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more shifting gears to your, um, your shift into entrepreneurship as a mom. So a lot of the times it kind of happens, you know, the other way around. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about that experience and trying to like launch this, you know, national brand, what it is now while like being a busy mom as well? You know, I think it was, so first of all, obviously anybody can launch company at any stage and should, um, I feel like for me, there were two very personal points of inspiration, you know, relative to my sons. Um, my youngest son was um, about 18 months when I um, quit my job to do this. And he was definitely a part of the story. Um, he was a, uh, fortunately, I would say born a very normal sized baby, but got really big, really fast. Um, and he I was, I was eating a lot of dairy and I just, that was like, there's no reason why I should have this giant child. And I, I did become more um, concerned around potential hormones or other things that I might be consuming that was just, you know, making me have this massive child. And so, um, so anyway, he, I'd say he made me think a little bit more about my diet um, relative to just nursing, you know, him. Um, but also, you know, I, he was a very fought for child and, when I would go to work, you know, especially he was, um, he was at a daycare very near my office at the time and I would drop him off. And then I would go into my office and it just, I was like, so unsatisfied with my work. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I dropping this child off that I like worked so hard for? And then, you know, not having tremendous satisfaction from my work when I am someone who has always been very satisfied and more fulfilled than I wish I were by working. And so, so that was definitely part of it where I was, I just really, I sort of knew what I was missing um, out on a little bit from just not being with him. Um, but then also to my older son was actually starting school and he was going to an all boys school. And it just became really important to me that he continued to have a female role model in his life that showed, you know, just the different aspects um, of women's life choices, you know, could be. And, and so it's been so fun to sort of um, get to, have him be a part of the story too and and kind of um telling everybody about his mom's business and so it's been great it's definitely been hard um but you know having unsatisfying jobs can be really hard too (laughs) oh for sure and you know as you know when i'm health coaching and we kind of and obviously I take a very holistic approach and there's different kind of like pieces of the pie, so to speak, in terms of what all comes together to make you your happiest, healthiest self. And there are, you know, those more, um, physical aspects such as nutrition, movement, um, sleep, things like that. But then there's more, there's more like abstract areas such as job satisfaction, relationships, spirituality, things like that. And I think so many people underestimate the power that those, um, pieces play in your life and your happiness and in, and in your health. And I, um, I think it's so great when someone has the courage to kind of 
take that leap of faith to do something that is more aligned with their passion. Um, and as you said, and your website, I was reading about just wanting to love work again. Um, because, you know, there's just something about waking up every day, excited about what you do. And, you know, I know I wish that for everybody. So, um, I think that that is just a very powerful statement for people to hear. Do you have like a self-care routine, you know, being a busy mom and entrepreneur and how do you maintain it? I would say that I have always been someone who has prioritized sleep. Mm, (laughs) I know that sleep is, um, is absolutely vital for me. I ruled out entire career options based on (laughs) them not being suitable to getting sufficient sleep. Um, and so I do really prioritize, um, my sleep and I, I make sure that I, I get enough. Um, you know, I, I am very thoughtful, I would say, about what I um, eat and put in my body. And so I, you know, try and drink a a lot of water. I I drink Mm -hmm. a lot of coffee until 10 a.m. and then I cut myself off. Um, There's some water switched in in the the morning, but I drink a lot of water. And then, and I really, and I I don't drink anything else besides coffee or water, you know, until five o'clock and then I have some wine. (laughs) Okay, good. I was like wine, right? Yeah. I I pretty much have a glass of wine with dinner every single night. Um, and people who do like dry January, I'm like, why? I just, no need, no need at all. Um, When you have that middle way balanced approach, there's no need to do that. Yes. I I don't do that. So, um, let's see, those are my things. I am terrible about regular exercise and we got a puppy during, um, during the, the quarantine. And so that's been one of the things that I have liked is having to get outside and walk him more mm-hmm. just to be able to kind of get more regular, um, just get outside, you know, into, into nature um, and get more movement. But that's what I'm always striving for is, is to get better about exercise. But I, do, I, I would say I am good when it comes to um, sleep and nutrition and, and those, those two seem to work okay for me. Oh, for <laughs> sure. I was actually telling my husband this the other day about how like, you know, um, research is coming on board where sleep is actually being, um, touted as more important than, you know, the nutrition and the exercise piece. And which just goes against so much of what our society does value because people, not only don't get enough sleep, but, but then they wear it as a badge of like, you know, busyness or honor that they've just like sacrificed their sleep in order to work more, do more, achieve more, what have you. Um, and so I'm right there with you. I prioritize it too. Like I have a sound machine. I keep everything really cold. I have an eye mask and like earplugs, I guess, you know, (laughs) minus the earplugs. I don't have earplugs, but I have everything else. I do have a second pillow. This has been one of my new, new tricks. I've got Uh a softer one and a harder one. And if I find that I'm tossing, I switch pillows in the middle of the night and it's like a reset button. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's, that's been like my latest, um, sleep tip. Um, Oh, good to know. Yeah. I, um, as you know, I'm currently like 35 weeks pregnant. So when my good friend gave me her snoogle, which is that sleep pillow, I was like, you're never getting this back like (laughs) postpartum or not. Um, but yeah, I feel like the earplugs when this baby comes is going to be something that's like the first to go. Cause that probably will, won't fly. Um, so I have one more question, but before I do, where can people find you? Where can they find Oh My? Um, yeah, just tell them where they can find everything. 
So Oh My is available in many of the natural food stores, um, grocery stores in the in the United States. So Sprouts um, is our biggest retailer. We're also in natural grocers and be in New Seasons, New Leaf, and um, many kind of local co-op um, in Richmond, you know, Elwood Thompson, Libby Market type places. And then we're also in, you know, some conventional grocery stores too, um, like a Kroger, you know, like the Winn-Dixie, um, Save Mart out in California. Um, OhMyGelato.com is our website and it has a store locator. You can type in your zip code. Um, HealthyGoodness.com is also a website that is, is a good um, tip for, for people. It's a, a site that caters to gluten-free, dairy-free um, branded products that, that um, you know, might not be in everyone's local grocery store, but you can buy, you know, of course you have to buy like a certain amount of things to, um, get free shipping. And so what's nice is they have a lot of different branded dairy-free, gluten-free products, um, not just, not just oh my. And so healthygoodness.com is where you can buy it if there's not a grocery store nearby, or, you know, if you're headed to a cabin or something and um, you just want to get a box of different things delivered, um, healthy goodness is a great solution. That's a great resource. Thank you. Um, okay. So my final question is just, what are your ambitions and dreams for the company? You know, I really want Oh My to be a brand that stands for really delicious products that more people can enjoy. And so I do see us probably staying in the frozen space, but I think that there are many other product categories we can take it into. Um, I'd love to see us in even more stores in the United States. Um, a lot of the, the allergy-friendly um nonprofits or different groups that we work with are Chicago based, but we do not have any Chicago distribution. And so I feel like I'm always trying to break into the, the Midwest. I joke that we have like smile distribution right now, where it, like we start in Washington state and we go down the coast and back up <laughs> the East coast, but we are missing the Midwest. And so I'd love to see us um, in even more places in, in the Midwest as well. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Allison. This has been so insightful. And um, I know as someone in the space as well, I've learned so much from you. And I just think this is just, it's fun to kind of get a little peek behind the scenes of how um, the heart and passion that goes into a brand such as yours, because mm -hmm. it is run by real people, you know, not machines. And, um, you know, it is something that we kind of pour our soul into. So I think to be able to have people be able to hear that should resonate. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sarah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and best right. of luck in the thank coming weeks. Thank you. I look forward to staying in touch and talk to you later. Thanks. Sounds good. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people. For further learning, be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes and you can connect with us on Instagram at Healthified and at Gratified. Until next time.